This is episode 15 of the Christian Travelers Network. Today, Chris Starin joins us to talk about how travel puts God into perspective. Welcome to the Christian Travelers Network, where travel stories, community, and scripture combine. Hey, Christian Travelers, thank you so much for joining us today. Today we have an awesome guest, Chris Starin. He is the host of The Truce Podcast, which uses journalistic tools to look inside the Christian church. He's also the award-winning writer-director of the films Bringing Up Bobby and Between the Walls and the writer of the novel Cradle Robber. Hey, Chris, how are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you, Sarah? I am doing good. It's good to have you on the podcast. Yeah, it's great to be here. Awesome. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Right. Yeah. So um, I am uh, a podcaster with the Truce Podcast, uh, which I've been doing now for about a year and a half and uh, releasing them for just over a year. And uh, the goal is to kind of look at a lot of the things that glom onto Christianity and pull them apart and see what all that's about and the ways that we get distracted as believers try to nudge us back onto our gospel mission, um, hopefully lovingly in, in the process. And uh, yeah, so I live in Wyoming and uh, it support myself by also driving a school bus. But as you listed a bunch of uh, other credits and things, I, I basically can't sit still. Uh, <laughs> I like to, I really like to, to make things. Uh, so hence the, the books and the movies and all that kind of stuff. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, but then you also have a special heart for travel. Um, yeah. What are some places that you've been to? You know, I've been really blessed. Um, so I've been to every state in the United States. Uh, praise God. That was great to knock that off the list. The last one was Maine, and I live in Wyoming, so it took quite a quite a bit of work to get all the way over there. Um, but knocked it off the list. And then uh, I've been to... Italy, Switzerland, France, um, and then uh, also Iceland, which was great. Uh, I did a lot of hiking in Iceland, um, and uh, I have I have hopes eventually uh, to do like a Reformation tour and kind of tour some of the places where the Reformation started. That's that's in the distant future, but hopefully, God willing, I'll be there. That's really awesome. I got to visit Wittenberg uh, last summer, which was really neat. And they yeah. have a lot of maps and things to like show you where everything is and what it all is. So that's cool. I would love that. So uh, what makes Christian travel so inspirational for you? Oh, it's, you know, it, it really helps put the world into perspective for me. Uh, it gets really tempting to kind of believe that the, you know, we're alone at this moment in history. Um, but it's, it's so great to, to kind of gain perspective across time. And you can do that when you tour other parts of the world and you go to ancient sites uh, and you see uh, how people have, especially I like to do like a, you know, religious tours. Like I want to do that Reformation tour. I want to kind of experience the places where the Lord has been working over time um, and, and how he's moved. Uh, so even before, uh, Notre Dame burned down or it didn't burn down, but it caught on fire. Mm-hmm. Um, I was really blessed to be there twice. Um, and, uh, I, I like going to those old churches cause you can kind of feel a connection with people who've been worshiping there for, 
hundreds of years, uh, which is just wild, you know. Um, it helps pull me out of that, my own little time frame where everything is so immediate and so important and put it into greater perspective, which is so, so helpful. Definitely. And that was kind of one of your unique God moments, I think, that you were telling me about yeah. before. Yeah. It's, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I love that connection. And I had a great moment in St. Peter's Basilica in Rome, uh, which is, uh, which was built by um, indulgences uh, when the Catholic Church was kind of up to no good in, in the 1400s. Um, it's changed a lot since then, but, um, you know, they, they would, you know, make people pay money in order to get their uh, family members out of purgatory. And all that money kind of funneled into this, well, a lot of the money funneled into building St. Peter's Basilica uh, in, in Rome, in the Vatican. And uh, it, it was really something to go there because it's a beautiful building. Uh, it's an undeniably beautiful building. Uh, but I, I was listening to this Rick Steves audio tour as I was there. And he said, you know, if you're a Protestant, you're going to have to put your Protestantism aside. If you're going to enjoy this tour, uh, just put it aside for a little while. And he was right. It helped a lot. And I kind of just gave myself um, 10 minutes at the end of the tour to just kind of grieve for the way that we, as the church, uh, can manipulate people for our ends. Um, and that was, that was a really powerful moment. I'm so glad I got to do that um, right there in St. Peter's. Um, yeah, I don't know. It, it's super moving. I strongly recommend it to anybody. Go in there and just turn off your inner Protestant for a little while and then uh, and uh, and just kind of give yourself 10 minutes at the end to, to think about what went into building that building. That is very powerful. It was. So um, you've been doing a lot of hiking abroad yeah. and in the States. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Uh, praise God. Last summer, I got to go and fulfill uh, this goal I've had for like three years. Uh, which was to hike a section of the, the John Muir Trail, which was from Kearsarge Pass up to Red's Meadows. And uh, it was, um, I, I, <laughs> I had thought I had conned my friends into going with me, uh, but unfortunately one of them backed out like two weeks before I was going to leave. Um, so I had to hike the first 80 miles of it alone, uh, which you know, I'm a pretty social person, so that was, it was really hard. <laughs> the, the loneliness was the hardest part of the whole thing. You know, I had blisters and I was exhausted, but the loneliness was the hardest part. Um, and uh, so, but the, the John Muir Trail is kind of intersects, overlaps with the Pacific Crest Trail uh, for, from a lot of it. And uh, so I was running into all these great uh, through hikers who were doing the PCT. And they were great to talk to. The only trouble is that they'd already gone 800 miles by the time they reached me. So, oh my goodness. Yeah, so they were they were much faster than I was because they'd had all that practice already. And they, so I met a lot of really interesting people uh, as I was hiking, but inevitably they would only be around for a few hours until they, they kept going because they were much faster than I was. And I don't think I have ever been happier to see another human being than I was when I met my friend Josh at the 80-mile mark at a camp. And he had he'd taken like a bus and had hiked, I don't know, I think it was like 10 miles to get in there. And, and I was so happy, but I had to keep telling myself, 
be cool, man. Like it's, <laughs> you can't go crazy. You got to just pretend that you're, everything's normal. And I was so happy to see him there. And we, we just had the next 50 miles was a breeze uh, with a friend there. Um, but uh, yeah, that, that was, it was a godsend to get to go. The, the Sierras are just indescribably beautiful and well-maintained and well-signed. And it was, it was just a great honor to go. Um, yeah. So that was, that was a thrill. It was part of last summer. I hiked over 300 miles, which mm-hmm. was huge blessing between there. And I also went to Iceland and, uh, praise God. You know, I, I was really worried because I was going alone again. And I was, I ended up meeting up with some people on what's called the Lago Vegar trail. Um, and, uh, it took me forever to say that <laughs> just yeah. to practice. and um, it is a beautiful trail. It's, it's sort of like you're hiking through Lord of the Rings country. It, it was just mm. wild, but also very wet when I was there. So I got rained on just about all, all we did it in three and a half days. It's supposed to be done in five, but uh, we did it in three and a half and God provided these two people who were just great. Their names are Pat and Cat. They were a couple. Mm-hmm. Um, and we just had the best time hanging out together and getting each other through. Because you have to, like, the hardest parts for me of hiking, are, uh, it's always the creek crossings and the river crossings. Because, uh, you know, you got to hike your pants up and it's always cold. Like, I'm always hiking in cold water. And uh, it, 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 you know, so you're like screaming as you're going across. Uh, but it was, it was a great bonding experience for us. And uh, we got to go up and over that, that volcano that went off in 2010 that stopped all air traffic going through. Um, but there was this moment as I'm at the top of the volcano and we're almost to the, the shelter where we were going ne- we to camp next to the shelter that night. And mm-hmm. the sun opened up. It was the first time we saw the clouds in three days or the sun in three days. And it was nine o'clock at night because the sun doesn't really set in the summer. It was just like you get this, this burst of warmth up there and we're standing in snow, even though it was July. It was just, oh, it was just the greatest feeling to feel that sunshine and the clouds finally parted and we could see the shelter on the next hill. It was just, I don't know, it was kind of like a little kiss from God. I don't know. It was just, it was yeah. just great. It sounds breathtaking. <laughs> It really was. Yeah, I'd, I'd strongly recommend it. it that, that trail, for the most part, except for the, the volcano, for the most part, anybody could do it because um, mm-hmm. it's, it's generally like eight miles, I think it was eight or ten miles between cabins. And you could either camp outside the cabin or you could buy, it was like $80, I think, American to, to spend the night in the cabin. Um, so if you, could, if you could do that, you could stay on a bunk. Um, I was trying to do it on a budget. As uh, you know, I am a school bus driver, so I got to do everything on a budget, and uh, and podcasting hasn't quite paid the bills yet. So, um, <laughs> it uh, yeah, it was uh, it was a real godsend to be out there. Um, yeah. So, what inspired you to do all of these hiking trips this past summer? I didn't grow up very athletic, you know. Uh, I didn't like ball sports, and in, in the Midwest, if you don't you know do soccer or baseball or football that's it for you athletically. That's, that's what's there, you know? Um, and, uh, I'm much more of an outdoor, like explorer, hiker, mountain biker, that kind of person. We didn't have any of that where I grew up. Uh, so it was, 
it, 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 to me, it's been just sort of like the joy of, of being able to explore places on your own power. Cause you're going, you're going slower than you would if you were driving someplace and you were to really enjoy the scenery. And, um, I don't know, that's, there's something about being able to get there on your own steam. It really feels like you've, you've earned it a little bit more and yeah. you just feel more accomplished. Uh, and of course it's, it's a great way for me to, to connect with the Lord and just kind of hash out things. Um, I had, uh, when I was on the John Muir trail, I had, I had been rejected by a lady <laughs> just before I left. And it was a great, it was, you know, a pretty good way to work things out. And honestly, most of the men that I talked to on the John Muir trail were hashing something out like that. Um, and it was almost always like they, they'd been dumped by somebody. So it was actually a lot of little counseling sessions out there as we went through, um, as, uh, as they were telling me their, their woes and, yeah. uh, but it's, uh, yeah, there's something about when you're down, being able to, to hike someplace and be like, look, look, like, look what God has given me the opportunity to do, you know, to get out, you know, life's not so bad. I can get out here in the woods. I can still move around. Um, it's, I don't know, it's really inspiring to be out in the woods and to, to think about the Lord. It's, it's like a little gift that God gives you. Um, each each time because you know I've had jobs where I'm sitting at a desk and uh, I mean I'm sitting at a desk right now and, <laughs> and you think oh you know it's always gonna be this way and every time I get out it's like God saying you know I really like you Chris you know and it's I don't know it's such a blessing to me yes our creator tends to speak through those nature and amazing moments like that yeah he does so as you prepared for all of these hiking trips, like what was the preparation process? Oh, sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, part of it is um, that, that, that like initial 80 miles I did in the John Muir Trail, there were no uh, stations to re refill your pack. You couldn't resupply anywhere. And um, so I, part of that was just, I've, I've hiked for three days, uh, four days at max before uh, backpacking, but I've never done eight days before. So I had to do a lot of research online to figure out what do people even eat in the backcountry for that long? Yeah. And it turns out the only thing I wanted the whole time was uh, tortillas and nut butters. So I had all these uh, different flavors of almond butters and that's all I wanted to eat out of the backcountry. Uh, so I would strongly recommend that to anybody. Uh, I also have had friends that have done uh, cheese quesadillas, like you pre-make the quesadilla when you're at home, and then you just kind of nibble on those because you got some good fats in the in the cheese. Mm -hmm. um, but also, like, uh, of course, you, you know, you treat yourself with those mountain house meals that are pre-made stroganoff or something like that. Um, but uh, yeah, the preparation was that, and then I, I hiked a lot in preparation for for the trails. I just try to wear my you know my feet in and my shoes in. Um, and, uh, and also part of it was a little bit of, um, just try to prepare the people around me that I was going to be gone for eight days, or actually I was gone. I was in the woods for 13 days on that one, you know, just get them used to the idea that I, you're not going to hear from me for 13 days. And that doesn't necessarily mean I'm dead, you know, and that's, that's something you, it takes a lot of effort to prepare people for, because mm -hmm. we're always in contact in civilized, in the civilized world. And, uh, and uh, there, there was a little bit of panic on my family side. Um, unfortunately, I, I wish I didn't have to put them through that, but, 
Um, I did, what I didn't know, and I wish I would have known, is they have these devices now, like the, the signal beacons that you can carry. But you can actually rent those beacons that'll send like an alert if you if you get hurt, mm-hmm. uh, and then like send search and rescue out to you. And I was they're very expensive to buy on your own. Mm-hmm. And I, I really don't have a use for them out here uh, where I'm hiking because people we just tell people where we're going. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, so out there, it would have been great to have one. And they have some that you can rent and not for that much money that you can actually text people from the middle of nowhere, even if you don't have a, a cell signal. Interesting. Uh, so I, yeah, little tip to anybody else who's going out there. Learn from my mistake and, and rent one of those. And you'll save your family a lot of grief yeah. if you do that. Um, kind of tying it back to your loneliness at the beginning of the trail and you're going to be disconnected from family for so many days. Mm -hmm. Did your like phone die? Like, did you have places to charge it or just did you turn it off the whole time? It's just that there's no service. So yeah, it didn't matter how much, how much service you, or how many, uh, how much battery you had. There was no service. Um, so that's, yeah, that's the main, main deal. And, and I'd already read about that. Mm-hmm. And so I'd warn my family, you know, assume that I'm going to be alive. Just start with that assumption. <laughs> and then I stayed on the trail and, um, and then I'm not dead. Um, and uh, some people along the trail did have those little devices where you could send text. So I think twice I was able to use those and send text to my family to be like, hey, I'm okay. You don't know what <laughs> number this is coming from, but this is Chris, you know. Um, Awesome. Yeah, it worked out really well. It worked out really well. I, I would strongly recommend it to anybody, but definitely go at a slower pace than I did. Um, I pushed way too hard um, on that one uh, because I was I was <laughs> a little bit lonely. I just was like, well, I don't want to camp by myself. I'm just going to keep hiking until I see somebody. Um, so it, it helped. The nights that I could hike, I could camp with other people. That those helped a lot. So in all of your hiking, what was like the most difficult thing that you faced? The main thing is just, well, that was, it was the loneliness on the John Muir Trail. <laughs> <laughs> it was really, it was really lonely. Um, but also I've been on other hiking trips uh, where you get into a dangerous situation or you see a dangerous situation coming. And, and it, the, the most important thing you can do is stop and just assess the situation. Um, and like, just stand still, make up a plan and, and come to an agreement. I, I was out with, um, three lady friends and I were hiking and we were going to do this like big three or four day backpacking trip in the wind river range in Wyoming. And, uh, we get through the first night and the, the girl's tent had leaked. And, uh, so the one, the one lady had her, uh, sleeping bag wet and, and then it snowed that night in the mountains where we were going to go. And none of us had snow gear with us because it was August. And you're thinking, well, we're not going to need snow gear. Uh, It turns out always pack snow gear in Wyoming, even in August. (laughs) But um, uh, so I had the unenviable task of trying to convince everybody to turn around and go back (laughs) Uh, because I, I didn't want to, I mean, I didn't want to put anybody in danger, especially since one of the ladies had, her sleeping bag wet, and none of us had snow gear. Uh, we, you know, we didn't have crampons or ice axes or any of that stuff. And um, so I, that was probably one of the harder things I've had to do because I had to make that decision. 
And then I, because I wasn't leading the trip, I had to make it seem like it was their idea that we were turning around. Did they end up turning back? Yeah, we turned back, uh, which was the smartest thing you could do because, you know, everybody in in this town that I live in, uh, it's a a big outdoors town. Everybody has lost somebody that they know due to a stupid decision in the backcountry, something that could have generally been avoided. Um, And uh, so you just, you got to constantly train yourself like, listen, if I'm ever in a bad situation, I need to stop and assess it. And if it's dangerous, I shouldn't do it. You know, just like you have to make those risk reward decisions. Uh, it's, it's very difficult to do because like that, one of the ladies on that trip really, really wanted to do this. This was like her big adventure. She was moving out of town. This was maybe the last chance she'd ever get to do this particular hike. And I had to talk her out of it. Um, and that's sometimes you gotta, you gotta do that if it's an unsafe situation. Um, And of course you can risk that. I mean, there's, there's always times where there's acceptable amounts of risk and you just got to go for it. But uh, yeah, you also got to know when to call it quits. And I, I find if you can kind of come up with somebody at the beginning of the trip who is designated as the one who will call it, Mm -hmm. um, that helps a ton Um, because then it's all on that one person especially like if the person who's organizing the trip is a good one to pick um but ultimately that's the person who's in charge of everybody's safety even though that's that's an unpleasant role it's it's very important i think so yeah yeah Yeah, safety is always a very important thing to keep in mind it really is yeah especially in advance like before you ever even get into trouble it's it's hard to be that conscious especially like when you're with your friends you think oh they're smart people yeah they're, they're never going to get us into a bad situation but uh, I've, I've been on a number of, of trips where you know somebody forgot an important important piece of equipment or you know they got out on a ledge that they shouldn't be out on and and you just got to make some tough calls so on the other hand what has like been the highlight of your hiking experiences um I did this, and it seems kind of silly. If you knew the mountain I'm talking about, um, it would seem kind of silly. But uh, my brother and I got to hike up what's called Wolf Mountain here in, in Jackson, Wyoming. And it's in the Snake River Range, which is the range like everybody goes in the Tetons. Almost nobody goes into the Snake River Range. But my brother and I wanted to explore, and we see this mountain all the time when we're driving school buses. And it's like a very distinct sort of uh, triangular-shaped mountain. Um, like stands out completely in that range and I was like I really want to climb that mountain and so my brother and I after a failed attempt with another friend we got to go back the next week and uh, hiked up to this mountain where there was nobody else there on the trail even on the trail nobody else there and uh, got to the top of that and um, to me that was one of my highlights because uh, first of all I feel really blessed I have a twin brother who is who's very supportive um, and we like a lot of the same things. So even if all of our friends cheese out and don't want to do something, Nick's going to be there. Um, and that's just, that's just great. So it's, I, I had one of my, my great hiking buddies there. And we saw this view that none of our friends had ever seen before. Um, and it was, just, I, it was just such a special moment to us, um, especially because we'd been scouting it for so long, <laughs> staring at it. It's, you know, 
So every time I drive that, well, not every time, but often when I'm driving the school bus, I look up on that mountain. I just think how great it is to have been to been able to be up there um, uh, after all that work and all that planning. Um, what a godsend that that was to have that special moment. You know, that was really cool. Um, in your hiking, what tends to be like ways that you connect with God along your journey? Yeah, you know, I have, uh, my brother and I have this, this tradition of singing the doxology whenever we get to the top of a peak, you know, which is that praise God from whom all blessings flow. And uh, we just sing it loud uh, whenever we get to the top of a mountain. Um, so that's, that's a really important thing. It's one of my favorite hymns. And um, it's it's just also like a it's very God focused. Um, so it's uh, like the, the 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 purpose is to try to give God the glory for being up there instead of being like, look how strong I am and all the all that I've done to get up here. It's it's much more about let's get let's give God the glory for this moment. And I really like that. And we've also um, we get in the, ha- the habit, especially when we can see our town from one of the mountains we're on. Uh, we try to pray over the town, um, pray for pray for revival here, pray for friends of ours, uh, pray for enemies of ours, just to try to give God the glory and focus on the moment. Um, there's a, a ski hill in town here that you can hike up and ski down, and it's uh, one of my favorite places. You get almost all the way to the top. There's a, a switchback just before you get to the top one, and if you're on that switchback, you're, there's no wind, but if you go one more switchback up, it's, there's a lot of wind, so I usually stop where there's no wind. And you can get this great view of town, especially at night. Uh, and it's all lit up like a little one of those little Christmas villages, you know, that people buy. And it's so great to be able to be up there and just pray over the town. Um, and you can see the various churches. You can see, you know, where your friends live. Um, that's that's one of my favorite ways to connect with the Lord up there. Uh, it's you know, you're all sweaty and you're hot, even though it's cold outside. Um, you got a good steam going. And then you could just pray over the town. Um, it's, that's that's awesome. I love being able to do that. <laughs> that is really neat. Yeah. So what might be some advice that you would give someone who's thinking about hiking one of these like longer trips? Yeah, I I would say try to start small and you can you can really do it. You know, mo- most of us, if you're able-bodied and the Lord's given give you that ability to hike and have good knees and good hips, work up to it and, and kind of push yourself as you go work work up to it uh and try not to have fear because you know like the john muir trail there are black bears out there and a lot of people are afraid of bears as you know you should definitely exercise caution around bears but uh you know you can do it a lot of people hike in bear country without any trouble um so part of it is just like if you're if you're doubting yourself um try not to you know, as long as you're not doing anything that's blatantly unsafe um, and against God's will, you know, go for it. Push yourself because it, it really is, it's very affirming to be out there and, and to get someplace on your own abilities, um, on your own steam. Set like a very obtainable goal and then keep raising the bar as you go. Like when I moved out to Jackson, that mountain that I, I hike and ski, uh, it, it took me forever to get up that thing uh, when I first got here. And, uh, you know, a lot of my friends at the time were not in good shape and they couldn't do it. And so I was just pushing and pushing and pushing. And, um, and after a while, it, it, I, I, started, I, I could do it in 40 minutes and it used to take me hours. 
So you just kind of have to set those obtainable goals and and uh, and go for it. And and don't beat yourself up if you can't do it today. Try again tomorrow. That's that's the main thing. Uh, and you don't you don't have to be the best. You just have to try. Uh, you just have to be out there. Really important because again, like you know, those people who hiked the the. It seems like it's a big deal for me to have hiked 130 miles, and, and then like I'm on a trail where people have hiked. 800 miles before they even get to the point where I am. It's not really about being the biggest and the best and the fastest. It's just kind of about uh, doing what God has put on your heart and the distance that um, that you're comfortable with. There you go. I hope any of that helps. <laughs> yeah. So I like to ask everyone who's on our podcast, what is one of their biggest God moments in their travels? So what's yours? The one of the ones I haven't told you about, huh? Um, <laughs> oh, I got... I was hiking, I was in Switzerland, and I, <laughs> I I hiked up this mountain. On somebody's like the guy at the hostel had recommended this hike, and I love getting information from local people about hikes. So I, you know, I put some sandwiches in my bag, and I hiked up this mountain, and uh, it it was a real mountain. It was a big day, and uh, incredibly beautiful, overlooking uh, Lauterbrunn in, in Switzerland. Um, and you could kind of, you could see the Eiger mountain from there. It, uh, and I got to the top of this thing and I didn't know it, uh, but there was a, a, a rotating restaurant at the top. Uh, like, uh, you know, the inside rotated. So you could see this 360 degree view hmm. and, uh, it, because they had filmed part of in her majesty's service, which is a James Bond movie up there, there was a James Bond museum at the top <laughs> and you could only access it by using a cable car or by hiking. And so I get to the top and there's all these tourists up there taking pictures and they're fresh as a daisy because they took the cable car up and didn't hike and they weren't as sweaty as I was. And I got to the top of that and I, I was in tears because I was so thankful to be up there, uh, the, seeing the, the Alps, you know, and being able to climb up a mountain in the Alps and, even though there's a restaurant at the top that's a, you know a, a, a museum to a James Bond movie, uh, it was it was so moving to be up there, and and be in a country that I, I really had been wanting to go to and go up and hike a mountain. I was just oh, it was the best. It was it was the best. And I, there are moments in my life that I feel like God kind of whispers to me and says, you know, Chris, I really like you. Um, because, you know, a lot of, a lot of times, you know, every day we're working, we're driving the school bus and things get really unpleasant some days, you know, and you think, gosh, where was God today? You know, uh, where, what, what was this day all about? And then you get up there, uh, like on top of those mountains and it feels like God just said, I was there, you know, I was there the whole time. And here's a little something to kind of let you know that I love you. And that, ah, oh, that was one of those moments up there. It was it was great. I strongly recommend going to Switzerland and hiking. It, oh, it's great. <laughs> it sounds like you've been a lot, on a lot of amazing hikes. I've been really blessed. Yeah, I've been really really blessed. You know, I'm not super skinny and I'm not super muscular, so it's also that's the other part of the the blessing. You know, I've got a belly and I have to drag the belly up there, and somehow <laughs> God gets me through. Um, and it's yeah, it's been really awesome. Well, Chris. What are some ways that uh, people can connect with you on social media? Absolutely. I, you can find me on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter at at Truce Podcast, and that's T-R-U-C-E Podcast. 
I'm also uh, at trucepodcast.com, and you can find the podcast anywhere the podcasts are available uh, at uh, you know uh, Spotify, uh, Google Play, Stitcher, iTunes, anywhere. And I, I'd love for you guys to you know send me an email or send me a, a, a tweet. And let me know where you're going and maybe recommend some hikes for me. That'd be awesome. Well, thank you, Chris, for being on our podcast today. We've really appreciated having you here. Oh, thanks for having me, Sarah. Well, Christian Travelers, uh, I would encourage you to check out uh, Chris's Truce podcast and his other resources. And thank you so much for being here today. Once again, if you subscribe to our podcast at christiantravelers.net, you will get a lot of amazing resources and other tools to share your faith and travel together. Um, But until next time, safe travels and God bless.